Hi, this is Jim Labedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have John Russo, author of Onboarding the Right Way, 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact in Your Organization. John's insights come from a 14-year career that spans the information technology and professional services fields. He has his MBA in technology management and is a certified business consultant. In his book, John shares simple changes that can help your new employees be comfortable, productive, and fulfilled in the workplace. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure being here. John, I was thinking having you on as a guest, and I thought, you know, one of the big mysteries it seems to be in business is how do you hire the right people? And the second big mystery is, well, now we hired them, how do we onboard them the right way? <laughs> it's, it seems like companies can't, they struggle to get those two things right. So for our audience this morning, let's give them some reference points. So tell us, first of all, the difference between orientation and onboarding. Sure. I think that orientation is the beginning stages of onboarding. So onboarding isn't simply orientation, or at the very least, it it takes the basic foundations of orientation and adds many more components to it. So orientation provides basic familiarity with an organization, whereas onboarding, in my mind, provides empowerment. Orientation is a single session usually or a relatively short period of time that describes company history and structure whereas onboarding is a process that takes time, considerable, usually weeks or sometimes months, and provides the tools needed for people to fulfill organizational objectives effectively. And I also think that some companies mistake the onboarding program for the product training program. In other words, we're going to train you on the product, therefore you're onboarded. Go forth and conquer, right? Right. I mean, I think there are additional pieces to that, right? our onboarding program where I'm currently working, product training is part of it. But again, there are implementation skills. So we are heavily client-facing, and we work usually with Fortune 500 clients. So, you know, there's an expectation of professionalism and an expectation of not only product knowledge, but our product is highly configurable. So there's an expectation that we can marry together the exact business objectives that the client is after, help them break that down into key performance indicators and tactile behaviors that a frontline agent can modify and put that all into an automated solution. So there's not only the idea of knowing how the product works, but taking exactly what the client is after and configuring from scratch a customized solution that can address that. If they do any type of onboarding, it's done in this two- or three-day period. Why is that? I think that there typically isn't enough attention placed on human needs. So a lot of organizations, at least in my experience, are task-oriented, and they tend to have the objectives in place that they want to hire to fulfill, and they bring in folks that they've talked to and understood to have the requisite skills and experience to accomplish those tasks. They don't always take into account, though, that people can only operate at their peak and at their optimal level if they're made comfortable and given 
you know, a methodology to follow in achieving those objectives. So in my experience, even the smartest folks, if we give them no instruction and no centralized repository of knowledge to work from, they can't, regardless of their experience and intellect, can't possibly know things they've never seen before. And that's especially true if it's a proprietary product that the organization is offering. You said we often ignore making people comfortable. Right. And you said something else. Comfortable in what? Empowered. Empowered. Okay. So what you're really talking about is the human side of onboarding. It's just not a series of tasks. Exactly. I think that I use this theme throughout a lot of my writing, not only in this book, Onboarding the Right Way, but also in my blog at RussoBusinessConsulting.com, where I talk a lot about the expectation that since someone has been hired because their resume looks correct, they automatically can do the task. And humans are complex beings, right? Like they have feelings and expectations and things that drive them towards success. And those things don't shed off and fall away just because you've put them in a project. So there needs to be an equal amount of attention given to the objective or the task to be accomplished, and also to catering to those basic human needs so the person can perform at their peak level to accomplish those tasks. John, you stated that people perform when they are comfortable and they know what they are doing. What should companies do to get new employees comfortable and familiar? Well, I think the first thing, Jim, is the company has to delineate what they believe as an organization, what their mission is as an organization. And if you've ever listened to Simon Sinek's TED Talks, he's one of my favorites, he talks about not trying to sell to people who need what you want, but selling to people who believe what you believe. And he talks about Apple as a great example of, you know, a company that's executed this perfectly. So I think that not only in sales, but in hiring the right people for an organization, the same principle applies. The organization needs to delineate exactly what they're trying to achieve as an organization and what their core values are. And in the interview process, seek out folks with the same core values so that we're starting from a baseline of excellence and working from there. It's easier to make someone comfortable who is in line with your beliefs and striving toward the same thing. Yeah, I would agree in our company when we're in the first part of the hiring process after interview one, I send them home with two slides from a PowerPoint that talks about those three things, which is here's the three things we believe in. And I say, why don't you go study this, come back and see if you got any questions. And it's interesting, the ones who come back with no questions about those beliefs are usually not the ones we hire. (laughs) (laughs) You should be questioning some of our beliefs. (laughs) Well, just to see if you fit in do that as a as a first step because it's kind of if they don't pass that step it's almost not worth proceeding right so you know i put together some things that i believe based on this particular simon sinek approach right so i believe that everybody wins in business when we foster partnerships and fairness i believe that if we resist the urge to rush to solutions and consider people's feelings we can savor an amazing journey of learning from other people so i have you know a list of specific beliefs like this that if I'm going to work with somebody, we want to try to align. So the first part of a good onboarding program is getting the right people, right? Right. So the wrong people with the right onboarding program is still the wrong onboarding program. So yeah, one of the things that caught my attention in reading your book, and the book we're talking about is Onboarding the Right Way, 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact into Your Organization. It was the planning part, strategy number one. And you wrote, planning is often an unappreciated activity. Why is that? 
I think that typically what happens in project management, we rely on several levers, several typical levers. So we have our budget, our time, and our resources. And sometimes, especially in very complex projects, we rely just on those levers to be able to resolve any contention or scope creep or things like that. So we say, you know, there's additional work that needs to be done. Our time is constrained. We have budget. Let's add resources. And it's always a balance of those three things. The kind of planning and process is what I would call the hidden project management lever. So sometimes we fall into situations where none of those levers are available. The time is constrained because our client wants to achieve a certain objective this quarter and it can't go beyond that because there will be no budget allocated next quarter. And then from a vendor perspective, we don't have any additional resources to add because they're busy on other projects. So you have to find a way to get the work done without using any of those three levers. And that's where planning comes into play. And by planning, I mean establishing roles and responsibilities and having a true engagement where it's not just the vendor doing all of the work, but the client having some buy-in where it's a 50-50 partnership and we're working together toward a common goal. And the deviation from that sometimes causes the need or the request for additional resources and things like that. Just planning in a structured way that ensures that everyone is taking care of the tasks that they should and the overlapping tasks are being worked on together so that there's a a true engagement there. I think also when you have a 50-50 partnership like that, the client folks will be much more apt to use a solution that they had lots of input in building. In that chapter, you create your plan using Microsoft Project or a similar tool like Basecamp. And one program we recommend for onboarding is the Revenue Accelerator, truly an onboarding program designed around sales departments. But the point is, get some software. Don't put this in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Don't put it on a yellow legal pad because that software will help you assist in the planning. I think that was good advice. I'd love to hear more about the tools that you use as well. I'm always open to learning new things. One thing I like about the Revenue Accelerator program is it has the basic structure put together as it relates to sales departments. I mean, you customize it to your situation, but I always tell people that any software program, if it's designed right for the specific purpose that you, let's say, want to use it for, is like California Closets, if you're familiar with that retailer. You know, they come in and they have all the stuff to organize your closet. And when you walk in your closet now, is are things all over the place? What would happen if you got that organized? And so what Revenue Accelerator does is it has the closet already organized. You just have to hang things in the right place. Because companies and people typically know what they should be doing in onboarding people. Either there's a document they got to go over, there's a process they got to go through. They just have it scattered all over their hard drive somewhere or all over their desk, and they just don't know where to put it together or where to hang it in the closet or what sequence it should come in. So I think your point, not to belabor the point, it's not by accident that chapter number one, the first strategy is planning. Totally agree. <laughs> get, get some quiet time and put it together. And I was uh, working with Harry Manager the other day, and I said, well, how do you do this? And they said, well, we have a file folder, and we moved to this. And I said, how's it working for you? I says, well, it works out pretty good. And I said, well, continue that. 
I said, just document those steps somewhere and then translate those steps to a software program and then populate the program with that. And until you get that done, keep using your folder system because the folder system is working for you. And don't go cold turkey flipping over to software just because you got the software program. It's a migration to that. And I think that's what I've learned with people who don't have an onboarding program. The stop is always in the start, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you make a great point about the balance between getting the business process right and getting the right automated solution. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is John Russo, author of Onboarding the Right Way, 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact to Your Organization. In addition to John sharing his expertise on onboarding, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and personal development. You can download those podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. John, the biggest misconception about onboarding new employees is what? I think that there's probably a few of them. The one we talked about earlier is that onboarding is simply orientation, and we elaborated on that one already. The other one is I think what happens during onboarding and in business communications in general is that the speaker tries to sound as intelligent as possible when offering direction, and I don't think this typically drives the best solution in onboarding or any other business process. So productivity is about the audience, not the speaker. We need to communicate in a way that the audience is clearly understanding. And again, that goes back to the other misperception I talked about earlier that, you know, people are hired because they're talented and experienced. And we have this misconception that therefore they don't need any support. You know, again, humans are complex beings that retain basic things no matter what environment you put them in. They don't become project management robots devoid of feelings and desires for success simply because they're assigned to deliver a software solution. You know, in in my experience, software solutions or, you know, with any type of solution. So we can't focus just on the technical solution and forget to nurture the human being driving that solution. So that's kind of a variety of different misconceptions that I think all relate to each other. The other main one I would mention is that onboarding, although it has overlap with these things, is not coaching or mentoring or training. These are all different things that interact with each other to some degree, but they're still different things. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. So it's not coaching, mentoring, and training, but it can it be part of that onboarding? Yes, exactly. So I think that onboarding creates a framework for a transition between some of those things. Coaching and mentoring, in my experience, are often confused. Mentoring is a senior resource teaching a junior resource or a newer resource in the organization some task or skill that they've not experienced yet, you know, getting them up to speed on how a piece of software works or a new methodology or something along those lines, but it's a senior to junior relationship. Coaching is often mistaken for that, but is not that. So I've done some training in the coaching realm recently, and I'm actually very close to getting a certification there as well. I've done some business coaching with individuals as well. And what coaching is, is more of a peer-to-peer relationship where you're not teaching someone something new. You're 
helping them to realize a perspective that they missed because it wasn't obvious to them because of the environment they were in. So, you know, they can be folks from any experience level, and they come to you with some sort of business problem. And as a coach, your objective is to get them to think about things they missed. So, you know, I'm having this issue with my particular manager. His management skills are not working for me, and they're causing me some grief. So a business coach wouldn't tell them what to do. They would say, would you consider that, you know, you've told me that this manager is a new manager for you. Have you considered that he hasn't had any training yet? And, you know, if you were to consider that, how would that change your actions? So you're basically taking what the person has already given to you and suggesting new perspectives. The idea in coaching is that the coachee has all the information. We just need to uncover it. The idea in mentoring is that the person being mentored does not have the information. Absolutely. I always tell people that even Peyton Manning needs a little coaching, but he probably doesn't need to be taught how to throw the ball. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great analogy. <laughs> Sometimes when you're playing the game, you lose perspective, so we all need a little coaching. John, in your book, you build the case for adding a social network into your onboarding program. Explain what you mean by that. I think that oftentimes when there's a new employee within an organization, they can feel alone. I've heard examples from peers about being hired into new companies that are remote where their boss works somewhere else and no one was there to greet them the first day or tell them where to sit or basic things like that. So I think that the idea that when someone comes on board into a new company, there is an effort to get them synced up with folks in the same role or people in peer groups that they'll need to be speaking with as part of their job that they can go to with questions is vitally important. So in my organization, we're in the services group and we work with customer operations support and business consulting groups and sales groups and things like that. And I think that from the very beginning, when we bring on a new employee, we need to give them not only a mentor in their own group that can help guide them on where to go for certain things and, you know, just to be a sounding board for questions, but also sort of a way into those other groups which they'll need to interact on a daily basis. The other point you make is mix up the communication media in your onboarding program. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is I think it's clear from lots of research that folks learn differently. Some folks are visual learners. Some folks are auditory learners. And I think that if we mix up the communications media, meaning some of it being video recordings, some being audio recordings, some being, you know, live WebEx back and forth question answer sessions, I think that not only does it keep things more interesting and keep them from becoming monotonous, but it also addresses the different learning patterns that different people have. So we don't, you know, take one approach and leave out a group of people from understanding clearly because we haven't taken the approach that works best for them. Now, I'd like to make the point that feedback is the most, probably one of the most important parts of onboarding and something that you don't get with orientation. It's something we had just tried at this company for the first time, so it's vitally important to hear back from the folks going through the program on what could work better or what's working well. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a matter of asking. I'm coaching a team of customer service representatives right now, and they have two new employees come in. And just so happened they joined the company at a time we were doing a group meeting. And at the group meeting, we went over the fundamentals. Like, this is what it takes to be successful in this customer service role. Anyway, I had a chance to meet them. Then six weeks later, these two new employees, and I just simply asked the question, how's it been? 
know, what's the one thing that surprised you? What's the one thing that's disappointed you? What would you tell your best friend about joining this company? What's the one thing you're keeping? What's the one thing you're changing? And because they're so new, they have this experience of where they came from to this new company. And just asking six or seven questions afterwards, their manager said, wow, that was pretty good. I said, yeah, we need feedback so we know what to adjust. We need to know, first of all, where they're at today mentally. If they're mad, glad, happy, or sad, they join this organization. We can't coach them if they're you know, sad or mad. And I said, and we said we need feedback so we can make adjustments how we bring people on board. So it may just be as simple as ask them. Asking a series of questions, which it sounds like you have quite some experience with, can be rewarding for ourselves and for the other party, and not just during onboarding. Again, going back to the theme that like human beings have a lot of things in common, regardless of what environment they're in. When you're questioning somebody during onboarding, first of all, it makes them feel supported because they feel like you value their input. And it also makes them more productive, right, because you're giving them some direction on what to do next. Absolutely. In your book, you have a diagram, and it really talks about the flow of what you're talking about, from hiring to onboarding to mentoring and coaching. But after hiring, you have onboarding, and before mentoring and coaching, you have past readiness assessment. What I sometimes see missing is this element you put in there, past a readiness assessment. So what advice can you give people about making sure that gets inserted into the onboarding program? Right. So what I did is I put together just short little quizzes. So we put together a, a series of recordings on our project methodology, or you know, when I say methodology, I mean the series of steps that we take to get through a project. And each of those recordings had an associated five-question quiz. So the new employees could take that quiz and get immediate feedback on how well they understood the material and come to me if any of the questions or the material itself wasn't clear. Again, it's a 360 thing where it's as much a tool for feedback for me as it is assistance for them. But it can be something as simple as a short quiz in Excel, or you can use an online tool like SurveyMonkey or something like that. And then, of course, not during the onboarding process itself, but afterward, you want to have touch points on how effective the onboarding was for the person. And some of that is a series of survey questions. It's a bit subjective because you don't have a baseline to measure against, right? You know three months later how effective they are in their current project, but you don't know how effective they would have been without the onboarding other than to ask them and get a subjective response. So you want to have measures like that in place, things that are concrete, which are these answers to these quizzes are right or wrong based on the material that you just reviewed, as well as some of the subjective stuff. And the subjective stuff is, again, still valuable because you're gaining insights from human beings that you would not have otherwise had. Yeah, and I like your point about the readiness assessment because it's been my experience just because they've read it just because they watched somebody do it, just because you told them what to do, doesn't mean they got it. And also, typically they don't get it fully until they're actually in the job and doing that function. Then they're able to put that in context. And so too often we said, well, I trained them on this. I showed them how to do it. I kind of understand why they didn't get it. Well, because you failed to stop and ask what's your understanding of the importance of this step or show me how to do this step. And too often we just throw them into the workplace, having gone through some type of onboarding, assuming that they retained everything. Our guest is John Russo, author of Onboarding the Right Way, 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact to Your Organization. Martin Yate was a recent guest on our program. He wrote the book Knock 'em Dead, Hiring the Best. 
He made the point that every role in the company exists to generate revenue. Its sole purpose is to add some type of productivity to the company. Therefore, we need to get them up to speed being productive as fast as we can, right? I mean, time is money. At some level, every business understands Martin Yates' point. Now, my question is, at the same time, does this need to start getting that productivity interfere with effectively onboarding that person? Right. I mean, two points on that. One, I think, is that there's a little bit of uh, a rush to get folks onto billable projects, obviously, because they're billable and they're revenue generating. What we miss there, though, especially with complicated solutions, is that, yes, you're making them immediately billable, but usually at half rate or something like that because they're new and they're not experts with the product yet. And you've also multiplied dramatically the time that it's going to take them to actually learn the product on the job while they're also taking care of client-facing roles and, you know, an issue resolution and things like that, rather than having dedicated time to learn this all up front. So in the rush to make folks immediately billable, we miss the fact that they will learn on the job much quicker if you give them a better foundation. Part two to that is that another complementary piece to this whole discussion is the idea of evaluating folks for the skills matrix. So I have another colleague who's been putting a skills matrix together, and that's something that you can evaluate people being onboarded before and after the program. Immediately after hiring, we can ask a series of questions or look through resumes and experience to understand at what level they are with particular, a particular group of skills. You know, and you can have you know, their beginner level with this, intermediate or advanced. It can be that simple. And then you just run the same test after the onboarding and, and compare, and that way you can get an idea of return on investments. That's kind of another tool in the toolbox of evaluation. You know, I put together a matrix one time for a company that all that you're right, we listed all the skills, which is pretty amazing. When you actually take quiet time to list all the skills that a person may do in their job, you suddenly realize how complex that job is. But then I said, why don't you just give this to the employee and have them rate themselves one to four on how each of these skills and have their manager they report to rate them and then get them together and talk about the variances. And I think we came up with 115 different skills for this one particular. And we're not talking about like a CFO type of job, but any job when you put down what those skills really are, you'd be surprised how many of them there are. All right, so one piece of advice, John, you would give a company president today about onboarding would be what? The one piece of advice I would give about onboarding is to take enough time to do it correctly. To our point earlier, plan correctly. Put together a project plan for your onboarding program just like you would any client-facing project. This is something I did. This is something I found to be very effective. We set deadlines for ourselves to achieve certain pieces of the onboarding program, and we met almost all of them. We did everything we could to meet them. So my advice would be set aside enough time for onboarding that is a balance between when you want to start generating revenue with these folks and giving them a solid foundation. Usually that balance is something in the area of four weeks up until maybe 12 weeks, depending on if you have structured product training that isn't available every week or something like that. Our guest is John Russo, author of Onboarding the Right Way, 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact to Your Organization. John, and I was just wondering how you came up with 13 strategies. I guess it's an unlucky number, huh? I don't know. I was just looking through this, and I thought, that's kind of interesting. You put 13 strategies in this all together. This has to be based somewhat on your experience, right? 
I did. Yeah, honestly, I just kept creating strategies based on my experience until I felt like I had a complete picture. And onboarding for me is more in recent memory because it's something that a colleague and I decided to take on last June at our organization. And so just to clarify, I work for a company, Nice Systems, who provides, you know, world-class award-winning security solutions, workforce management solutions, and I work on the service performance management tool. I also, you know, do my own consulting under my own brand and writing books, of course, and, and blogs. But as part of the work that I do for Nice Systems, a colleague and I decided that we had been there for a few years, and there was really a lot of opportunity for improvement on the onboarding program. Folks had just felt a little, a little bit lost and had a little harder of a learning curve climb than they really should have. So we decided to put that program together, and that was last June. We took probably three or four months to get that together, and we're still gathering feedback. John, is there one question I should have asked you today that I haven't asked you? you've covered everything. The one thing that I probably would want to talk about briefly is just about time management. And again, this is something that can be instilled in folks when they are first going through the onboarding program in a new company. Just taking the organizational culture approach of not piling on extra work hours onto folks, but instead teaching them how to prioritize so that they get the most high-priority things done quickly. There's a book called The Business Coaching Toolkit by Fairley and Zip that discusses this approach. They call it the 1% solution. That's very, very interesting. So I talk a lot about in my writing and with my colleagues all the time about how multitasking is a myth. A lot of times in service organizations, we're asked to do something and asked to do something else while we're still doing the first thing. And the idea is, well, well, you're intelligent and experienced, so you can handle many, many things at a time. And the truth of the matter is the research says that our brains can only handle five or six simultaneous tasks. And some of those are what's for dinner tonight and <laughs> what's the way to drive home. So we want to, you know, rather than try to be more efficient and finish everything, we want to focus and prioritize. Yeah, and don't onboard by using a fire hose, right? That's what exactly. you're really saying. <laughs> exactly. I, it's funny. I, I came across this example of, you probably hear this all the time. Jim, I didn't hear what you were saying. I was multitasking. So one time I actually responded to the person and said, you weren't multitasking. You were single tasking on the wrong task. Just... <laughs> That's good. I like that. Let's just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, create some focus on the right things. John, if people wanted to learn more about what you're writing, give them your blog address again, please. Sure. My blog is located at russobusinessconsulting.com. I can be reached by email at russobusinessconsulting at gmail.com. And I'm on Twitter at Russo Consulting. Our book from John Russo we've been talking about is Onboarding the Right Way. 13 Strategies to Greatly Accelerate New Employee Impact in Your Organization. John, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, Contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.